Welcome, friends. This is James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. It is Monday, September 16th, 2013, a.k.a. the third Monday of the month, and that can only mean one thing. It's time for the next installment of our monthly film literature and the New World Order series, where we go through the books and movies that tell us more about our society than you will probably ever find in the news uh, headlines. And on that note, we have a very interesting discussion lined up for you today about a movie that I linked up in the show notes for the last edition of this podcast, so I hope you have had the time to watch it. It's called Gaslight. It's a 1940 British psychological thriller, a very interesting movie and available online for free. So once again, if you haven't watched it yet, I do suggest that you watch it before you listen to today's podcast, because obviously it would make it that much more understandable for you. But uh, for those who, uh, who insist on not watching it, I suppose the very short synopsis would be that this is a story about a man who basically tries to convince his wife that she is insane. Uh, as part of a manipulation and ultimately he's questing after some priceless rubies that are hidden in a house in which they're living. More or less, that's the story. But uh, obviously that does not do any sort of justice to the depth of this story. A very, very interesting tale and one that has relevance to our lives in a lot of different ways, I think. And on that very note, today we're going to bring up someone who has talked about this uh, very story before and who has explored it in some depth. I'm talking about Thomas Sheridan, who people might remember I did talk to well, quite a while ago now, I think it's been a couple of years, so you can look in the interview archives for our last discussion talking about The Labyrinth of the Psychopath and his other works uh, exploring psychopathy. But today we're going to be talking about Gaslight, and once again, I hope people will watch that movie if you haven't yet done so. Uh, Thomas Sheridan, it is great to have you back on today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, James. I'm delighted to be back on. Excellent. Well, well, I'm excited to talk to you about this movie, and we were just talking there off-air before we started here about this movie that uh, really is uh, quite a powerful um, movie in a lot of different ways. And powerful, I think, because... Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, very interesting psychological aspects to what's happening in this movie. And something that struck me as I was preparing for our conversation today and looking at online at some of the material that's available talking about the concept of gaslighting is that this is something that has affected a lot of people out there. And I noticed, for example, in some of the YouTube videos that I was watching people talking about this uh, gaslight effect, uh, there was a lot of comments from people who were saying, this this explains my relationship. I suddenly have made sense of the last 20 years of my life. Or, or things like of that nature. So I have no doubt that there will be at least some people in the audience who will be able to resonate with this idea and hopefully will be able to, uh, to at least arm them um, to, to better defend themselves against the psychopaths and manipulators who attempt to use this technique. But I guess just to get everyone on the same page, perhaps we should start just by defining what is gaslighting exactly and, and how does it fit in with this story uh, from the movie? Well, gaslighting is a, a term that comes out of uh, clinical psychology. That's originally where I could find it. And it comes directly from this movie, the American version predominantly. But the, the actual genesis of the term does come from the story of this film, Gaslight. It basically means for a pathological individual, in most cases a psychopath, but not always a psychopath. It could be somebody who's actually taken on psychopathic traits in order to maintain control with a specific environment. But what happens with gaslighting is your version of reality of which you're sitting into is altered to make you believe that what you're witnessing with your own eyes and experiencing with your own senses is not what's actually going on. It's to reverse your perception of reality 
in the world and the environment around you to make you believe you're going insane. So, for instance, if you were living with a psychopath and a wall was painted pink and you went up to them and said, that's a really nice shade of pink, the psychopath will say, what are you talking about? It's cream. And, you know, it won't be an extreme light. It'll be a slight light. And you'll say, no, no, it's pink. And they will look at you going, no, it's, it's, it's cream. And then this will slowly be done to other things. You will watch a movie on one night and you'll say, well, that movie we saw the other night with Bruce Willis was really good. The psychopath will say it wasn't Bruce Willis. It was Pierce Brosnan. No, it was Bruce Willis. No, it was Pierce Brosnan. And it, it progresses t- until the psychopath will say things like that film we went to last week was very good. And you have no memory of going to a film because you didn't go to the film. And you will turn around and say, but we didn't go to the film. And then the psychopath will say, well, I think you're having really big problems with, you know, issues and delusions. Maybe you need help. And the idea is to destroy you psychologically. Firstly, to, to annihilate your psychological independence. So you believe that you cannot function on your own, that you cannot perceive reality as reality is presented to you through your five senses. The purpose of this is for the psychopath then to isolate you. Once you're socially isolated, the psychopath begins to plunder or manipulate or destroy something in your life in order to get something else. So, for instance, if it was in a house, they'd want to see you to sign over the house to them, sign over their savings. If they wanted to get rid of you but not divorce you in a big divorce, they could put it in such a way that you'd want to section yourself or go into a psychiatric facility. And that way they could actually play later on saying, oh, my previous wife or husband was so unwell, I had to broke my heart putting them into a psychiatric facility. This is also a big thing with psychopaths too, pity. It'll be done terribly in the workplace. You'll have like, I worked in a factory once where I saw it firsthand. This is when I was about 17 or 18. There was a bully there that used to do things like uh, take tools off someone's workbench and throw them in the garbage. And the other person would say, where's my tools? And he says, you put them in the garbage the same thing it's a very common experience you have an experience if you've lived to be middle age and you haven't been gaslighted at least once in your life consider yourself very fortunate because you've certainly been gaslighted at the global level by mass media and politics unfortunately very true and i want to come to that um later on in the conversation but sticking to the the personal level i must say that um well if i have been gaslighted at any rate i haven't noticed it and um as someone who hasn't or at least hasn't been aware of being experiencing that in in any of my personal relationships it does sound like something that's so fantastic that they can uh, the the manipulator can eventually get you to second guess even just basic facts and basic things about whether or not you went to a movie last week or, or things like that but i think one of the things that the movie does so well is draw out how this can be a very slow, very insidious process that is done very intentionally and deliberately over a process of uh, months and, and even years and, and slowly break down someone's grasp of reality. It's quite a horrific thing to watch. And I suppose if there's any good news on for my own behalf, it's that I actually, I, I truly found this movie almost difficult to watch in places because I felt so sympathetic for the character that was being manipulated in this way. And um, and seeing what was happening, it's, it's quite horrific to think that there are people who are capable of this. But again, that's the wall of incredulity that we constantly run up, uh, up with. Um, of manipulators of all sorts and of course the the psychopaths who are there at the top of the chain well what makes that film so powerful is the fact that it happens in these pernicious tiptoe steps the woman has no idea what's happening because the psychopath has that's the agenda in the story without giving the plot away is after a very big long-term goal that has been 20 years in the making essentially and 
he is planning this, you know, so far in advance and so complex and everything is perniciously done. You see, psychopaths do not have creativity. What they have is deviousness. They're phenomenal at deviousness, but they don't have creativity. And their creativity that they would have would be simply deviousness. It would not be born out of any kind of creative intention. It would be pure, purely pathological. And it's the ultimate game of cat and mouse, where the target is the mouse. Well, it's the target psyche that's actually the mouse that's being played with by the cat. And the cat would be, in a metaphorical sense, the pathological drive of the psychopath towards an agenda. Nine times out of ten, a psychopath will do it for real real you know tar- real you know accomplishments things they want to do in other cases they will often do it just for a laugh especially as teenagers they will actually use it and this is what's very frightening the psychopath will use the gaslighting as a teenager to develop their craft It, it, that is, I mean, it's chilling to think about uh, people who are who are able to do this and to manipulate people in such a brazen manner. And unfortunately, as as we say, this is something that that does happen all the time. And there are people doing this, and there are people who are affected by this. And one of the most insidious parts of this is that there are many people out there who probably don't even realize that they are being affected in this way. And of course, that's the the whole point of this is to do it gradually and to get people to question their own judgment so that they never end up questioning the manipulator themselves. And it's at this point, I'll point people to an interesting article that was on Psychology Today from 2009 called Are You Being Gaslighted? It's by uh, Robin Stern, who apparently wrote a book called The Gaslight Effect, How to Spot and Survive the Hidden Manipulation Others Use to Control Your Life. I haven't read the book, so I can't recommend it, but it does sound certainly relevant to our conversation. But at the end of this article, she goes on to give a list of uh, basically symptoms that you may be being gaslighted, including you're constantly second-guessing yourself, you ask yourself, am I too sensitive a dozen times a day, you often feel confused and even crazy at work, you're always apologizing to your mother, father, boyfriend, boss, you can't understand why, with so many apparently good things in your life, you aren't happier, you frequently make excuses for your partner's behavior to friends and family, etc., etc. There's a whole list of things here that I, I think is quite interesting and perhaps useful for some of the people out there to at least take a look at and who feel they might be in this type of manipulative uh, relationship. But when we're talking about these one-on-one and personal relationships, what do you think, what, what are ways that people can defend themselves against this type of manipulation if any defense really exists? Well, defense does exist. It absolutely does. Now, this is really interesting stuff. So let's we'll get back to the film again. The film is not only a well-told and well-acted story. It's, I think it's a masterpiece of film noir, British 1940s film noir. You see, if people watch this film, I hope they will spend time to actually look at how it's lit. It's very telling. Whenever the, the woman in question is about to be gaslighted, there's very intense, strong shadows projected on the wall behind her through the studio lighting. This is to indicate, it may be on a Jungian term, it may be actually archetypal or could even be synchronistic, but this is a very telling aspect of why she's being gaslighted. She is not dealing with her shadow. I'm talking about the shadow in the Jungian sense. She has obviously issues in her life which she has not worked on, which has allowed the psychopath to get in there. In her case, she's probably too dependent. Again, I don't want to give too much of the story away. This is key and this is crucial and to help defend yourself from psychopathic attacks. In fact, I recently picked up a book written by Dion Fortune, who was an occultist that was around the same time that movie was made. And she wrote a book called Psychic Self-Defense. 
And it's so funny that the, the prescription that she gives for defending herself against psychic attack is exactly the same as what I say when dealing with psychopaths, no contact ever again. Now, if it's important that you understand that you can't always do this because usually you're already in the clutches of the psychopath before you realize you're being gaslighted. However, you can take preliminary precautionary steps to make sure that a psychopathic individual doesn't gaslight you. And one of these things is to develop your, a relationship with your own shadow. I'm talking about the repressed and negative aspects of one's own psyche so the, so the psychopath doesn't actually find them. For instance, if you have any insecurities, the psychopath will dive on them and play on them. If you're sexually insecure, the psychopath will play on that and make it sound like, make you feel like you're some kind of a sex god or sex goddess. If you're insecure about your looks, the same thing. They'll tell you how beautiful you are. If you're insecure about your intellect, exact same thing. You must deal with your shadows, your insecurities, and your repressed aspects of your psyche. It's so important because the, the psychopath, in my second book, Defeat the Demons, I have a phenomenal quote by a psychopath who I interviewed at the beginning of the book. And he said to me, I can tell somebody who hasn't been loved as a child walking down the street. They give off a certain body language. These people will actually, these psychopathic individuals will spot that the same way a shark can smell the blood of a bleeding victim, a seal or a fish a mile away. It's, they have this incredible predatory sense. If they see there's a missing aspect in your psyche, which you haven't worked on, they will jump in there. And it can also be very superficial things as well. If you need validation for something in terms of you may think you're some kind of light worker, you're some kind of angel or something like that, they will validate that enough to get you under their psychological entrapment. So that's the first thing. We ha we live in an age, thanks to Big Brother, Facebook, and all this other social media and all this other all people putting their heart out on TV shows like Jerry Springer, Oprah, and even these X Factor shows, that people are too quick to pour their personalities out there. There's no self-restraint. Psychopaths in the media have deliberately done this because they want to know what makes society as a whole tick, just like what makes an individual who's about to be targeted by a psychopath tick. So the first thing is to be very guarded of your own behavior. Do not do not put where your heart on your sleeve. Do not go on the social networks and talk about your insecurities and failings. You will only be setting off little target signs for these psychopaths to move in on. Only develop intense understandings of people you've known for a very long time. You must do the shadow work. This is why people in the New Age movement Sorry, folks, if you're listening, but all you light workers, you are going to be savaged because you're not dealing with the shadow that's an integral part of every single human being. Now, if you do, you are in contact with a psychopathic individual and they're in your life on the gaslighting, you probably won't realize it until you're in the psychiatric clinic. It's usually just like in the movie Gaslighting, an intervention by a third party who's noticing that your behavior is being manipulated in a pathological way by a third, by another party, usually the person you're in a relationship with, or it could be your mother, or it could be a bully at work. And they will intervene on this. And often the person who's being gaslighting, gaslighted, will say things like, hold on a second, that's not being done to me. It's really, that's how, that's how terrifying it is. 
you won't know until it's too far down the chain. They're literally rewiring your neurology. They really are. That's what's actually happening. And they're making what you'll notice even in the film Gaslight, there's a sense of relief every so often where she's given a sense of relief. This is a dopamine rush which happens in the prefrontal cortex and the target constantly seeks that dopamine fix. So they will do anything the psychopath tells them. So that's, you must, first of all, do not make yourself a target by putting all your insecurities out there for the world to see because a psychopath will dive in on them. And secondly, if you have been targeted and someone intervenes, listen to what that third party is saying to you. The psychopath will try to turn around and say the other side is being is actually gaslighting you. This is what cults do. Cult leaders, when somebody comes in like a family member or a friend, tries to explain to the cult members, look, this is what's being done to you. The cult leader turns that around and tries to make out that the cult or the group, the family, is being attacked by this person who's actually trying to help. So listen to what other people say. And finally, if it does dawn on you that you are being gaslighted, do what Dion Fortune says in her book, Psychic Self-Defense. She says, the environment, sorry, the most common forms of psychic attack is that in which proceeds from the ignorant and malignant mind of a fellow human being. In other words, when you, when you see it in a normal person, understand that this is a malignant human being. This is not a normal human being. You must have no contact ever again, completely cut all contact off with them. And then your neurology, your psychology, and even your neurochemical responses will start to return back to normal. And more importantly, do not be ashamed that this was done to you. Very important advice. And unfortunately, I think probably very difficult to put into practice for a lot of people. It takes a lot of strength, um, psychological and otherwise, to be able to do that. And I certainly hope that people are who find themselves in that situation are able to draw upon that strength to, to, to extricate themselves from that. But as overwhelming as all of that seems... Uh, to think that this, in fact, is also going on at a societal level by the societal manipulators is uh, something that really does make me shudder to think that the ways that we have been manipulated and are being manipulated in similar manners. Let's talk about the societal application of the gaslight effect uh, to really control the populace in a type of societal mind control. Well, I'll give you a classic one that happened recently. Now, people are probably sick of hearing about it. But we've got to listen to it and pay attention to it. The recent Miley Cyrus performance at the Video Music Awards was a classic example of gaslighting. What we were basically given was a kind of a, a, a sort of a, a mind rape of psychosexual insanity uh, with strong pedophilic aspects pushed into people's faces. Now, what was interesting to this was all these sort of like especially in the United States, people saying things like, oh, my family and I sat down to watch Miley Cyrus and we were horrified by what we saw. This is an outrage. These people have been gaslighted because if they had any, any notion that they were being gaslighted by the media, they would not have been sitting there watching that because, as we know, since the 1980s on, MTV awards have become progressively more sort of psychosexualized with these kinds of imageries to the point where we have what Miley Cyrus on stage basically being, you know, doing a doggy style with some no-talent singer dressed in a, a stripy outfit. These people should have switched off their TVs and not sat down with their kids and watched the Video Music Awards 10 years ago. But they're still there, and I guarantee you the ones who were disgusted by the Miley Cyrus fiasco will be 
watching it again next year because they've been gaslighted to expect that somehow it's not going to happen one year, that all their complaints mean something. And this is exactly what voting is as well. Voting is the same thing. We vote for either the the make-believe left-wing party or the make-believe right-wing party. And what we get is the same globalist agenda. And then people every four years saying, what the hell did we vote for? They 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 backtracked completely on what they said they were going to do. And yet the populace will go to the vote boots and they will vote again in the next general election or the next presidential election or the next council elections. We 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 are so gaslighted as a society. It's, it's almost fantastical. You almost have to like admire these creatures for what they've done to us. That people will sit there and be, allow themselves in their countless millions to be abused by these systems, to these pathological systems that are laughing at us and toying with us. Disney pushes constant pedophilic aspects in people's faces from Winnie the Pooh having no trousers to all the symbolism they put within their movies and posters. The adults see this, they're horrified by it, but they still take their kids to Disneyland. Why? Because they've been gaslighted into this, because they, at some level they believe that it's really incredible. At some level, even when, even when Obama is, is about to start a war, that's actually, you know, that in a manner that's actually worse than Bush too. that they still think he's the great hope for humanity. The human race is unbelievably gaslighted. And this is what makes understanding of psychopaths so powerful and why I have made this like my life's mission. Because if you can see it in the people around you, in the, the psychopaths in your, in your office, in your family, in your community, you can scale this experience up to the top and you can fully realize, and this is the great way to wake people up, that we live in a, we live on a planet that's essentially under a massive form of gaslighting because psychopaths and basically proto-psychopaths who have assumed this behavior run the show. You know, when you put it in that perspective, it really does help to crystallize something that I've I've understood, but I find it difficult sometimes even to maintain in the forefront of my own mind, is when you're looking at these Obama bots or whoever who will just continue to defend this this president who's supposedly this hope and change, despite all of the, the ridiculous carnage and, and havoc and, and just outright lying that he's done over the years. Um, the the initial instinct is to to denigrate those people. They're Obama bots. They're they're the enemy in a way. But when you put it in this perspective, they're really the victims of this manipulation. And I think if we understand it in that perspective, perhaps it could be more helpful for us to 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 be that intervening party and to see ourselves in that role as people who have to extract these people from the manipulation of the psychopaths because they are the victims here. They're not the they're not the enemy per se. Yeah, and why are they the victims? Because they haven't dealt with the shadow. They ha- and what is the shadow of people in the United States who vote for Obama and defend him, like the Obama bots, as you call them? I'll tell you what it is. Failure to accept that the United States is an evil empire. That's what it comes down to. Now, I'm not saying the United States people. I'm talking about the military-industrial complex, the psychopathic military-industrial complex, commercial, big pharma, who runs the United States. They have not dealt with that shadow. They have not said to themselves, what our government is doing on behalf of globalist corporations is put this nation in the position of an immoral, obscene, murderous empire. So instead of dealing with that, instead of tackling with that terrifying truth, they'd rather wave flags on 4th of July and get all misty-eyed looking at, you know, 
movie, you know, movies about this kind of thing, that they don't turn around and say, there's something profoundly wrong here, and voting for some kind of John Wayne politician who's going to ride in at sunset and change it all, as Obama was, is not going to help it. The American people, just like the people in my country and our relationship with the EU, we have to develop an understanding of the shadow of the society. And when we deal with that shadow, a classic example here in Ireland would be the, the Catholic Church abuses. When we dealt with the abuse of children by the Catholic Church, it actually liberated the consciousness and the legal structure of the society to protect others in future. The same thing. We have to look at the shadow. Everything is relevant. As I always say, you know, the old hermetic axiom, as above, so below. If you can, one of the great things about waking up is you can sit there and you can watch a movie like Gaslight. You can observe the, the way it's lit. You can observe the actual composed, the composition of each individual scene in the movie and see allegories and motifs that scream, this is, the, not, this is not only my life or has been my life at some point, but this is a microcosm of our world. The house that she lives in is could be seen and viewed as an allegory of the society we live in. Remember, in the movie, she does not go to the upper floors. In the movie, her decency of wanting to help the poor children on the streets by buying them toys or sweets is exploited upon as weakness. In the movie, public ridicule of her behavior is used to keep her locked indoors and locked away. Just like we're locked in our houses, we don't communicate with our neighbors, where charity is something we give to people like Bob Geldof so he can get into space for free, thanks to uh, Richard Branson. It's not going down the street and helping the local neighbors. We have, we have to deal with the shadow that we have in this society before we can project it. You're absolutely right. The people who are devoted to Obama, they're not fools. They're, they've been brainwashed and calling, you know, and, you know, making fun of them is okay to one level. But what happens is it's just like when someone is in a cult, when you kind of ridicule them, it doesn't make them leave the cult. What actually happens is it makes them entrenched more within it. What we have to do is deal with the shadow and then we will put the psychopaths out of business. Absolutely right. And and you bring out a very important point of that, that movie. And one of the most uncomfortable points for, for me is when he does take her out finally. She's been trying to get out of the house all this time. And he finally does take her out for an evening of entertainment. And and so, of course, he decides to manipulate her at that point and to cause her to have a breakdown there in public that obviously he can use against her later later on as he's setting up his, his alibi of her, of her mental illness. So absolutely, um, just uh, th this is something that happens, unfortunately, every single day to all of us who, who do play into this. And I, I want to give an example that I think is particularly horrific in this regard, talking um, about Karl Rove. And Ron Susskind wrote back in 2004 about a conversation that he had with Karl Rove, of course, uh, George W. Bush is one of his uh, advisors, political advisors. And he writing about Rove, he said, quote, the aide, i.e. Rove, said that guys like me were in what we call the reality-based community, which he defined as people who believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. I nodded and murmured something about enlightenment principles and empiricism. He cut me off. That's not the way the world really works anymore. He continued, we're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities which you can study too, and that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you 
all of you will be left to just study what we do. If that is not the words of a manipulator who is consciously using gaslighting techniques to to keep the public in a, just a total trance, I'm not sure what what uh, what more evidence people need of this type of manipulation happening at a political level. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's it. That's gaslighting 101 in a political sense. But people again do not want to believe it. They do not want to accept it. Even when they tell us their intentions, you look at when George look people go on about George Bush too when he that famous quote where someone he said about the, the U.S. Constitution he says someone get that damn piece of paper out of my face right and Americans were so horrified by that guess what folks he was telling the truth it is just a damn piece of paper to him and his peers they don't care about the fundamental sort of theocratic underlying almost dogmatic well particularly dogmatic nature of the u.s constitution to them it is a damn piece of paper and it doesn't mean a damn in terms of what they want from foreign policy and corporate control of our lives when people realize that that's when you defeat them instead of being shocked by george bush's words and being offended by them come to accept that he actually meant them and in his own funny way we were getting a reveal and he was telling us the truth the terrorists hate you for your freedom is absolutely true it's just a question of who the terrorists are and unfortunately i think we're all too familiar with who the terrorists really are in this day and age but uh but there you go it's another one of those truths hiding in plain sight well uh, the the genesis for this this conversation today is actually something that you mentioned in our conversation last time a couple of years ago now so digging way back i i remember you mentioning specifically talking about gaslighting in terms of art and the way that art uh, modern art and the sort of twisted nature of the aesthetics that that are increasingly being held up as and venerated is, is is in effect a way of trying to twist our own sensibilities. I was wondering if you could just address that quickly as well before we go. Well, we spoke last time about this is that what happens is, is basically since I've been a kid and since you've been a kid and probably when our, our parents were kids, modern galleries have been filled with what basically are conceptual works that don't relate in any aesthetic form to what we would consider to be beautiful. That's okay. I've no problem with that. I've no problem with art being used to challenge. No problem at all. The thing is that other forms of expression are not being allowed in the galleries. So the galleries are filled with cardboard boxes in the corner of a room or, you know, this kind of nonsense or a few pebbles in the corner, a pile of garbage in the side of a, a big gallery space. I saw one recently that, you know, on so many levels it had me, it was so deep. It was a video installation in a local art gallery here, a very, very beautiful modern building that was bought with, you know, large amounts of taxpayers' money. And all the, the, all the installation was was what these, you know, these art colleges produce now, video installations. And it was just a guy, a guy's on the, you know, on a TV screen, a large flat screen just being filmed. And he was saying things like 24, lemon, oranges, and then long pauses. And it was supposed to mean something deep. I went back an hour later and the video installation had broken down. There's a little paper sign on it and said, uh, insulation has been closed for, for technical reasons. And it's, it's the absurdity of modern art and what they call modern art was shown in that one scene. It, the sign saying installation 
broke is you know is cancelled due to technical reasons because the monitor broke down that a DVD player broke down is precisely as artistic as the ridiculous monitor on the screen with this guy saying nothing. <laughs> what they're doing is is they're changing our perception of reality. In our last my last book, The Anvil of the Psyche, I talk about them and I call them the merchants of nonsense. And if they're changing our perception of reality, then we have to say to ourselves, to what means? Well, I'll tell you what it is. If we go into the art galleries and all we're met with is absurdity and blandness, it's going to make advertising on the billboards on the streets and on TV look very beautiful, very colorful and very seductive. The same thing with political posters. I've noticed that too as well. Political posters, if you look at them, and you can't just put it down to printing, printing technology. In the last 10 years, they're almost psychedelic in terms of the amount of colors and images they put in them. They hire top graphic designers to create beautiful posters. The same with the magazines. Magazines are crammed with information, all these silly magazines on celebrities that fill our newsstands. They're, 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 they're almost like a, a, an array of candy. It's almost psychedelic. Which what you see in the public art galleries is dead, bland, and flat. And that's the reason why they don't want us knowing what real true beauty is because they can't create it. As I said, psychopaths cannot create. They can be devious. And what they do is they will alter reality. So you'll never actually get beauty and sort of a spiritual, psychic, uplifting experience from any situation or any kind of environment or structure created by the psychopaths. But what they can do is they can make the stuff that's truly beautiful, truly spiritual, spiritually uplifting, and truly insightful, and they can actually wreck it, distort it, and make it seem about as interesting as an empty cardboard box blowing down the street. And then what they present, their their version of reality will be delivered with a, a Mardi Gras style colorful presentation that will actually be used to seduce people. And if that isn't an example of gaslighting, I don't know what is. Mm, exactly. Well, very, very insightful. Well, speaking of your books, obviously, I, I'm sure many people will be familiar with Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath and Defeated Demons, Freedom from Consciousness, Parasites in Psychopathic Society, a couple of your previous books. But as you mentioned, the latest book is The Anvil of the Psyche. Tell us a little bit about that book. I quickly wrote this last year because I was they started to understand the links between what they call ritual magic and how marketing and public relations works, especially after reading Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, what I was basically reading was a magical text. Now, when I talk about magic, I'm talking about changing the perception of reality and conformity with will, as the likes of Crowley and these others have done. These methods have been brought directly into politics, particularly the, the, the Obama. Remember, Obama wanted to create one thing, change. Change means nothing. Like hope, it means nothing. Change means changing things. He never said changing for the better. And that was a classic sleight of hand kind of word magic that's used within ritual occult. And I was starting to see this thing everywhere from publishing to mass media to politics to everything. Absolutely. Even how medications are being sold. They'll, you'll see ads on American TV. I can watch them on YouTube. They don't tell you that the medication is going to make you feel better. What they'll tell you is it will. you'll no longer be feeling what you feel now. So it's change, but it's not change for the better or change towards your desired result. It's in the conformity of the will of the psychopathic control grid. Really amazing stuff. So, you know, I, I looked at things like Obama's election campaign in 2008, and he precisely followed 
the five stages of ritual magic. And you see, then I'm starting to see it everywhere. And you understand then why people like Crowley, Saul Alinsky, Edward Bernays are held in such high esteem by these people. Not so much because they're evil, but because they actually were bringing out something that was even rooted within European alchemy and even European esoteric traditions that probably was came out of the Freemasonic world that has become what we call public relations marketing and just basically mass media. And so I wrote the book Anvil of the Psyche to say, look, if you're an Obama, an Obama supporter, just read this one section on how everything from chanting like that ridiculous TV, creepy TV ad that had the kids going, Obama, 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 all the way up to him using terms like hope and change that don't mean anything to get him into power. Because remember, Obama did not promise really when you think about it, a wonderful new future. He just said hope and change over again. And then we, the gaslighted victims, imposed a false reality of the future to come based on his magical sleight of hand and his wordplay. And these are the tools they're using against us more and more. Again, my books are toolkits. They help people deal with an assault on our consciousness by a pathological system and how to defend their psyche. And so the anvil of the psyche took basically the idea of what you'd get in relationship psychopathology and scaled it up to the control grid and sold it in such a way that people would find it interesting. It's a small book, but it's really just a kind of a high impact read. Excellent. Well, we will include a link to that book in the show notes for this interview, as well as a link to your website, thomassheridanarts.com, where people can find out more about your work. Of course, not only your writing, but also your visual art, your music. Um, You're a very prolific person in a lot of ways. So I'm sure we could have a conversation simply about uh, advertising and marketing and the manipulation of the psyche. And perhaps we will in the future, but perhaps we'll leave it there for now, talking again about gaslighting and the gaslight effect and this very, very interesting movie. Once again, if you have haven't watched it yet i sincerely hope you will it's a it's a very interesting movie just uh just as a movie let alone as a precautionary tale so a lot of very interesting issues to explore i'm so glad that we got the chance to explore them with you thomas sheridan thank you again for your time today cheers james thanks all the best all right friends there he goes thomas sheridan once again thomas sheridan arts.com and that will be linked up in the show notes And that will do it for another edition of Film Literature and the New World Order. But as always, before we go, let's just check the mailbag for some responses that we got to last month's edition of this podcast series talking about Lord of the Rings. And we had a few emails in um, basically talking about the same point. So I'll just take one of the representative emails, this one from Michael. He said, uh, this was a nice discussion. However, you and your guests miss a key element in Tolkien's supposed anarchism. His Catholicism and medievalism subsume his distributist ideas. The Shire itself exemplifies subsidiarity. Any monarchism you discern is an idealized vision of the king as a spiritual hub who rules by virtuous example, not by authoritarian rule. Leaving out Tolkien's Catholicism makes his philosophy of life less clear. And we also had an email in from Will who wrote that uh, I did my undergrad senior thesis on Lord of the Rings and Aristotle's ethics. For the conspiracy-minded, I could argue that there is a meme for the poisoning of the mystery schools. The door to Moria is extremely similar to a Masonic rite. Also, Sauron's all-seeing eye at the top of the tower is like the eye above the pyramid. 
Uh, well, thank you for that, Will. And uh, I, I think you're right. And he does provide a link to a, a, a website that shows the door uh, to Moria in the Lord of the Rings film and how that relates to Masonic imagery. And I think that's right on the money, as, of course, Sauron's all-seeing eye is obviously just like the all-seeing eye at the top of the pyramid. But I believe that both of those references are unique to the movie version of the book and not the book itself. Or That's my understanding, not having finished the book yet. Um, because I believe Sauron is not just an eye in the book. I believe that was uh, an adaptation that uh, that Peter Jackson made for the film. And I'm not sure about the Door to Moria or how that's described in the book, whether it's described in the similar way as it's depicted in the movie. But at any rate, those are points to take on board for how the visuals of that movie were uh, put together. And that will do it for this week's, uh, sorry, this month's edition of Film Literature in the New World Order. So we will be back on the third Monday of October. And we're going to be talking about a book that's, uh, well, it's over a century old now, but probably more relevant than ever. And it is Rudyard Kipling's Kim. So that is a book that is available completely for free online. I'll put the link, as always, in the show notes so you can go and download it and read it in preparation for next month's discussion. Until then, I'm James Corbett, looking forward to talking to you again real soon.